never give up, never give in, and never give out. And today we're going to be talking about a man who was some 75 years old and it seemed like he should be playing checkers with his friends under the old pecan tree or pecan tree depending on where you're from and uh, we have a different story here. We have a man who in the last days of his life, his life uh, seemingly I should say, uh, 75 years old he puts on his warrior outfit and goes and does battle and wins a great victory. Today we're going to be looking into the life of Abraham and uh, his first battle and how he overcame insurmountable odds as he learned to trust in God. And uh, when you learn to trust in God, you'll recognize who is the real king. So, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 14. We're going to be looking at the uh, 24 verses there, uh, verses 1 through 24. Thank you for coming and being a part of our audio study guide here at Northwood Baptist Church. My name is Trey Rhodes, and I'm the Connections Pastor. And we are doing this for our teachers and co-teachers and leaders of our Life Connection groups. And so if you would like to join in and Enjoy the time together. I would also recommend that you uh, listen to Pastor Tommy uh, Metter, our, our pastor, our lead pastor and teaching pastor here at Northwood Baptist Church. And you can do that by going to northwoodbaptistchurch.com and listening to the latest message. And it's entitled, um, Don't Forget Who's the Real King in Genesis 14. Listen to that and then it'll give you some background to what we're going to talk about today. Well, uh, thank you so much for those of our co-teachers and teachers and leaders and care leaders who are out there in the trenches and involving their lives with the lives of people. Uh, one of our Life Connection Group leaders was with me today as we went and uh, did some care ministry with some of our people that are hurting physically and need someone to just uh, come pray for them, encourage them, uh, and do the things we need to do. So my encouragement to you is to continue doing that, uh, and I know that some of you do that by text and by phone. Uh, but every now and again, when you have somebody that's really hurting, you might need to, uh, of course, ask their permission, but just go over and see them every now and again and say, hope you're doing well and praying for you and those kind of things. So uh, whatever you need to do to minister to your people, keep it up. Uh, as Pastor Tommy has said many times, uh, not only does our best spiritual growth happen in community, it is in community that we receive true Christ-centered care. As we learn to care for one another. It's not about the pastor taking care of everyone. It's all of us taking care of all of us. So it's all of us taking care of all of us. So uh, make sure you do that this week as you minister to the people that God has brought into your Life Connection group. And that doesn't mean you can't do it for other people as well. Care for other people. Uh, hurting people are out there and it is our responsibility to go and to help them and encourage them and build them up. All right, well, we are in Genesis 14, and we're going to do a real brief rundown of the message, and then we're going to jump straight into the questions. Uh, well, we have uh, this this older man named Abram at this point. He's not been had his name changed, but uh, uh, we know him as Abraham, and he has had uh, something unusual happen where his his nephew, Lot, has been taken away 
and uh, all his stuff has been taken over by some of the kings of the land. And so uh, it is. Abraham feels it is his responsibility, although Lot probably doesn't deserve it. Um, he goes after him and goes and finds him and brings him back. So uh, that's what's going on in this passage of Scripture as uh, we have uh, uh, King Cordelamer. I don't know if that's how you say it. That's how I'm going to say it. How about Keter? Keterlamer. Now, if you can say it that way, you'll probably get away. Uh, I, I heard somebody say King Keterlamer. So if you want to do it you know, with that little elvish thing, you can do that too. But anyway, he was the king of Elam. He was the big king in charge. And um, we have also five tribal kingdoms rebelled against him and said, we're not going to pay you tribute anymore. And two of those kingdoms were Sodom and Gomorrah. And of course, where did Lot settle? He settled in Sodom. He went from the land of Sodom into living in the city of Sodom. So, uh, so what happens is uh, the five kings came against uh, King Keter, uh, Keter Laramir. And um, when he came against him, they lost to him. The five kingdoms lost to the four kingdoms. And so a uh, lot stuff gets taken away. A lot gets taken off. And um, we have this idea of this man who thought that he would go down to Sodom where the land was good and he had all this stuff. And the irony of everything that happens is instead of being wealthy, Lot and his family were captives. And not only that, they lost everything that they had. So the good news is, is one of his servants escapes and goes and reports to Abraham what had happened. Um, now, as we know, over the, over the years as uh, he lived, it was never an easy thing for Abraham to follow God. Um, yeah, this was the promised land, but it uh, many times was not so promising. In Genesis 12, we have this famine, and now we have this war, and there where Abraham's nephew was taken away. So, uh, yes, this is the land that God promised Abraham, but what good, you have to think, what good was the promised land if at any moment these kings could come in and plunder it and uh, take your relatives into exile? So, in the midst of that, what Abraham determines to do is go in to rescue Lot and get his stuff back. So, uh, Lot didn't deserve it. Um, just think about it. I didn't deserve to be rescued either. So, you know, before you beat on Lot too much, um, uh, remember that just like Lot didn't deserve to be rescued, neither do we. So he gets 380 trained men, and these are people born in his household. It had to be a big household for that to be the case. Uh, they went to war, and so obviously, for obvious reasons, to take them by surprise, they, uh, the 318 men attack at night. And uh, it, that's the only way that a the smaller army could have any advantage over a larger. And so they, they did. They defeat the king, and I'm just going to call him King C from now on, now on but as King Keterlaramir. <laughs> That's tough to say. I'm going to say it different every time. But anyway, he, we're going to say King C. So he defeats King C and his allies, and what the five kings could not do, um, Abraham does. Uh, he routes them, and he gets uh, freedom for Lot's family, and all of the things and the stuff that Lot had taken away from him Abraham gets it all back. Now, what was it? It was what we call faith in God, that faith, believing God, that God can, Abraham goes to war. Abraham goes and takes action against these kings that had taken his nephew captive and kept, uh, brought him into captivity. So um, 
He, pr- he proves in that moment that he is it's not King C that's the most powerful king in the land. It's King A, King Abraham. And this is his land, and he proves himself to be the real king. So after this just decisive victory, he's met by the king of Sodom in the king's valley, remember? So the king of Sodom, king of Sodom is now also probably released from whatever he was in. And so now Abraham has a newfound confidence. He's feeling like king of the land. This is the promised land after all. Uh, but he's the one mighty in the land, not King C. But out of nowhere appears another king. And we have this king named Melchizedek. He is truly the man of mystery. We don't know him about him. We know very, very few details except what's here. And this is the only time that he makes an appearance in the Bible. Now, we have several other places, I think Psalm 110 and also in Hebrews, where he is mentioned, but uh, he's not, he doesn't appear. This is the only place he appears in the whole Bible. Um, so here he comes, and he makes this appearance. And Melchizedek is his name. And uh, he comes from, which means the king of righteousness, and he comes from a place called Salem, which means peace in Hebrew. Uh, Abraham's not the only one fighting for peace in the land. Mel- Melchizedek is also a priest and bringing people before God to have peace with God. So standing before him, he is, is this righteous, peace-seeking king. Um, and by the way, Salem is the ancient name for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And he brings out bread and wine. Um, he's the priest of the Most High. What? You, you know, you think, well, that can't be. Aaron was the first priest, right? Well, Abraham and his family aren't the only followers of Yahweh. We have this man also who is a follower of Yahweh. We have this man also who is a priest, and he is not a, uh, he's not just a follower of Yahweh, but he is this priest. And here Moses is writing in the wilderness. He's establishing the priesthood. He's about to talk about what it's going to take, and Aaron's going to become the first priest for the Israelites but long before Aaron was ordained priest, there was a priest in Salem, a king who was a priest, someone who, who mediates between God and man. So uh, Abraham's feeling pretty confident. Uh, a, a, but here comes Abraham's superior, a priest and a king. And what does he do? He puts Abraham in his place. He reminds him that his victory was not himself. His victory came from God himself. His victory was not because of what he did. His victory was because of what God did. And Melchizedek reminded him who was the real king of the land. It was God. So Abraham gives him a tenth of everything. And uh, what he was saying, of course, just like uh, the tithe uh, became to all, all the followers of Christ and also the followers of, of Yahweh, uh, a way of showing that it all belonged to God anyway. And the king of Sodom says, hey, listen, let's work out a business deal. I'll keep the people, you keep the goods. And, and the king of Sodom said, you can have it now, just give me what I want. And, and the king of Salem says, trust God who gave you victory. He will give you what he promised, and he will give it to you in his time. It's not up to Sodom. It's not up to his king. It is up to the king. He is supposed to provide for you what you need. Um, Abe said, then Abraham went back to the, king of Sodom, and he said, you know, I'm not dealing with you. I don't want everyone uh, to say that you are the one that made me rich, so I will take absolutely nothing from you. What Abraham wanted to know, and this is, again, a, a, a desire to show that he trusted God. Abraham wanted people to know it was God who made him rich. So there's some two principles we can learn out of this. First of it is this. The same God who is at work in your trials is at work in your victories. 
You see, God is always at work. When you're hurting, God's at work. When life couldn't get any worse, God's at work. When life can't get any better, God's at work. God is always at work. Why is that? Because if we recognize that God is always at work, there's a couple things that happen. Number one, we can't take the credit, can we? Temptation for Abraham uh, was to think that he had done something great, but it was God. We are the same way. The temptations for you and me to say, look at me. Look what I did. Look at this great message I taught. Look at this uh, wonderful thing I wrote. Uh, look at how I raised my children. Paul understood that he couldn't take the credit. He said, I will boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. So not only can you not take credit, you can't hold back. The only right response to God's work in your life is to give him. Ultimately, it's your life. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable, which is our reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. You see, God's been good to us. Yet we cling to our life like it belongs to us when it doesn't. So you can't take credit, you can't hold back, and also when uh, God is at work in the trials in your life, in your victories, you can't not submit. Let me say that again, you can't not submit. There's no, no area of your life where you can say to God, hey God, take your hands off. Every area of your life is like this. God, what do you want from me? How do you want me to live? That's when we begin to say, it's a joy living for Jesus. It's a joy living for Jesus. So, the same God who's at work in your trials is at work in your victories. But we also find out that the God who is at work in your victories knows how to bless you. We all want to be blessed, right? We want the good life. So where's Abraham going to find blessing? He's going to find, where's he going to find that blessed life? Is he going to make some deal with the king of Sodom? Is he going to follow God in faith? Well, thank God we know the answer. And Abraham is learning. He recognized that God has already promised the blessing. So you're not going to miss out, first of all, when you walk by faith. You hear that? You know, I know some of you think, well, if I, just, if I do that, I'm going to miss out. You're not going to miss out if you walk by faith. And that's why some of you fail to follow God, because you think you're going to miss out somehow. The God who is at work in your victories knows how to bless you. You're not going to miss out. Number two. The blessed life is not getting everything you want out of life. The blessed life, or the blessed life, is receiving everything God desires for you. Now, I know that we think that means all the good stuff, but it's the good stuff and the bad stuff, you know? It's going to difficult places, knowing in confidence that God is with you. It's sharing the gospel. It's ministering to the hurting. It's fighting for your marriage. It's patiently disciplining your children because, and discipling your children because you know where that's going to come out. I don't want to miss out on God what has for me. That's for sure. So it gives you every reason to walk by faith. So the question is, are you? And then third, you're not going to give in when you walk by faith. The enemy said to Abraham, I have something better for you. And the enemy said to Jesus, I have something better for you. In Matthew chapter 4, when he went and tempted him in the wilderness. And what I've found is this, the more that I walk by faith, the less I want to walk faithlessly. When you know that your blessing comes from God, you're not 
going to give in to the kingdom of Sodom who are trying to make you some kind of business deal. There's some of you people in your life connection group right now who need to taste the goodness of God, that need to walk with God, the one who is always at work. There's some people in your life connection group that need a Melchizedek who will stop us still, remind us of the greatness of God and that it is God that gives us a victory and it is God that blesses us. The good news is we do have a Melchizedek. His name is Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that Jesus is even a better priest than Melchizedek. He doesn't just remind us of the greatness of God. He brings us to God, not through our sacrifices, but by his sacrifice. He's not just the king of Salem. He's the king of the universe. Died in our place, rose again. The king who is establishing his kingdom in this world and in your life. So in your victories, it's easy to think, I'm the king. Look what I've done. Remember, always remember, no, he's the king. Give your life to him. Okay, that is the summary of the message. Now let's jump right into not forgetting who is the real king questions. First, let's go into honesty time. And I like this one. This is a good one to start. It's number one. What's the biggest battle you've faced in your life? How did God bring you victory in that battle? So uh, let some, be, some people share a little bit about some victories that they've gotten in, in battle. And it might have been a battle against cancer. It might have been a battle against uh, someone trying to destroy a family. It might have been a battle against uh, uh, somebody trying to pull us away from the Lord. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people could have said. Uh, so use that one. Uh, you might want to bounce into uh, Galatians 6.14, um, which is, I'll boast in nothing but the, but the cross of Christ. So how does the Apostle Paul help you think about the way you boast? We need to be careful about how we boast, I think, is what we're saying. And we boast in the cross of Christ. Um, also, don't forget about Genesis 3.15. Always remind them about that, whether you ask them this question number four or whether you bring it to their attention, where we're going with Genesis 3.15, that, they, that God will provide someone who will crush the serpent's head. Um, that is coming, and uh, that, that Abraham is a part of that as uh, we move forward in this understanding of how God delivered his people and salvation through Messiah. All righty, let's get and examine the text. Why do you think Moses included this story in the book of Genesis? Okay, we got the story of this battle taking place. So why do you think he would have done that? Remember, we talked about the priest and that the priests are about to open up and, you know, the, they're about to conquer Canaan. They're about to go back into Canaan. And God gave Abraham the victory. Certainly he can give them the victory. Um, so uh, we have this rebellion going on and then the king... Uh, overcomes a rebellion, and then Lot is removed because of that, and then Abraham goes after him and wins. So um, so maybe you want somebody to recount it. Maybe you need to recount the story. I, I, since we've already gone the sermon, you probably don't need to do that, but if you feel like you need to because somebody's not getting it, feel free. Number two, what happened to Lot in this story? Well, he was, he was captured and lost everything he had. Um, so what happened is Lot wanted to have the best possessions, right? So he took the better land, and he told uh, Abraham just, Fend for yourself kind of thing. Uh, so how did that work out for him? Well, you see, Abraham trusted God. Lot just saw what was good, and he went after it. Uh, so what do you learn about Lot's faith in both chapters 13 and 14? His faith was probably not in God. His faith was in what the land could do for him, right? Uh, his faith was in getting, in getting the blessings. Uh, we asked this question last week. Let's ask the same question. Why do you think Peter calls Lot a righteous man? Go back to 2 Peter 2.7, and uh, he calls, literally calls Lot, and as I said last week, I'm going to have to 
talked to Peter a little bit. We understand it's about grace. Uh, Lot doesn't deserve anything that he gets, but neither did we. So thank God the same reason that we can be called righteous is the same reason Lot can be called righteous. Number three, Lot chose the better land when he left Abraham. After Lot's taken captive, Abraham makes a plan to rescue Lot. So why does Abraham rescue Lot, especially when you consider that he didn't deserve to be rescued? Well, it was for his name's sake, obviously. It's always for the namesake of God to bring him glory and uh, also to establish Abraham as the king, uh, the one who this land belonged to, the promised land, and ultimately to establish that God is king over the land, right? Uh, so here we have Abraham's faith. What does it teach us about love, mercy, and grace? Well, simply uh, that God loves us in spite of what we've done, that his mercy is always there for us, and that his grace is always superabounding in the midst of whatever we've done in the past. He is always willing to overlook, and he is always willing to forgive. All right, in Genesis 14, uh, the verses 14 to 16, notice that the details that Moses gives regarding Abraham's rescue of Lot. What do you notice about the details? So we have this rescue. Uh, some of the things, he was uh, took 318 men in his household, uh, he also uh, attacked at night. If he was going to attack a much bigger army, he had to have the element of surprise. So we know that that was the case. Um, can you think of any other stories in the Old Testament or similar to Genesis 14? Uh, well, we have a big one. It's the story of Gideon, and he took 300 men, destroyed all the, I think it was the Midianites. Gideon took, over, took the Midianites, who were 100,000-plus strong. So if you want to go to the book of Judges and look at Gideon, you can uh, do that if you have the time. Uh, into that, what does Moses want us to know about Abraham and about God in these verses? That God is in control and that God is victor and that God is the one who is king. And God does what he wants. And if God makes a promise, God keeps his promise, always. Number five, who is Melchizedek? Well, he was the king of Salem. Uh, we don't know a lot about him except what's mentioned in this short section in chapter 14 about Melchizedek. Um, and that, uh, that, uh, that he obviously was a worshiper of God and that uh, he was used by God to kind of correct Abraham. He told him to remember where, where, he, uh, where his blessings came from, where his victory came from. It was not from um, his, himself. It was from God himself. And um, we have coming from Jerusalem. By the way, if you remember, Salem is the ancient word for what became Jerusalem. Um, so we have all that available to us. So this is who Melchizedek is. Why is he significant to the story? Well, obviously he's the one that reminds Abraham who God is. And he's also is someone that Abraham was able to give 10% to so that he could be reminded who owned it all, right? Um, and what is significant about these verses? Well, it is significant because this is uh, the only place where we have Melchizedek actually appearing. We have him mentioned in Psalm 110. We have him mentioned in Hebrews chapter 7. But this is the only place in the Bible where he actually appears. Number six, notice Abraham's response to the king of Sodom in Genesis 14, 22 to 23. So let's jump there. Let me, uh, we're not going to read the whole thing. But Abraham heard that his um, uh, relative had been taken prisoner. And here Melchizedek shows up after all this happens. And uh, after he had defeated uh, King C and uh, other kings that were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the Shavah Valley. That's in the King's Valley. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest to God the Most High. 
And he blessed him and said, Abraham is blessed by God. Listen to this blessing. Abraham is blessed by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God the most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. Big reminder, this is about God, not you, Abraham. God did this. God is the one. He is the one that blesses. What's significant about Abraham's response to the king of Sodom? He gives him this tenth. He was recognizing that it all belonged to God. Every single bit of what he had all belonged to God. What does this teach us about faith? We trust that God is able to. We have to trust God, that God knows the details. God knows what he needs to do to accomplish his promise. We've just got to let him do it. In Psalm chapter 110, verses 1 through 4, and Hebrews 7, you might want to turn and read those if you have the time. Um, but if you don't, then you might want to skip over this. It's up to you. If you really want to just kind of jump head deep into it, make sure you understand what, what it's talking about. You need to read your Bible notes. If you need to call me, uh, we can do that. But anyway, how do these verses help you understand Melchizedek and how he points to Jesus? He's always going to, he is a greater high priest. We talked about that in the message. He is, he, is the, he is a greater high priest than even Melchizedek, Jesus. Here is someone who, who came from, not the line of Aaron, but appointed by God. And there would be, just like Melchizedek came out of nowhere, Jesus came out of nowhere in reality. And Jesus became the king and the priest. Let's apply the truth. If God gives you victory, then you should submit to him in all things. So why do we struggle to submit to God? Well, we just do. We think we want to think it's us, don't we? Every single time we want to somehow think that we had a lot to do with it. So what areas in your life is he calling you to submit to, uh, to his will, and you are refusing to submit? So there's some things in, in the life of the people in your life connection, maybe in your own life, where God is asking you to do something. Maybe he's calling, asking you to get involved in ministry more. Maybe he's saying you need to go after that person, share the gospel. Uh, maybe you need to stand up for a situation that's going on. Maybe somebody's getting bullied or picked on and you need to stand up. But anyway, what is he calling you to submit to in his will and you're refusing to submit? Well, the question is, why are you refusing? He's the God that did it all and that can take care of it all, can he? Number two, God is able to bless you in ways that are far beyond your imagination. How does God want to bless you? He wants to bless us by us being open to receiving from him. When we go through the tough times, and we get through on the other side, and we get a great victory, we can point back to God and say, God, you did it. That's the blessing of God that we depend on. Why do the world's blessings pale in comparison to God's blessings? Because they're going to be a go away. They're going to be taken away. Just like Lot's stuff was taken away, God can take everything you have or make it get taken away tomorrow. A tornado could come through, and you not be insured, and everything be gone. And having had insurance and going through a hurricane, just because you have insurance doesn't mean you're going to get it all back, by the way. It can be gone in a moment. Number three, how does this story point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, that's simple. We have someone who is king that wants to rule and reign in our lives. His name is Jesus. And uh, the more that we follow him, the more we want to follow him. God is a great God. And his sacrifice on the cross, not our sacrifice, is what made it possible for us to have a relationship and to have the ultimate victory found in Christ. Respond to the truth. What do you think God is calling you to, number one, in response to this passage of Scripture? So number one, what do you think God is calling you to do in response to Genesis chapter 14? 
So some of you might, it might be that you need to trust God. You're going through a situation where God has brought this into your life and you've just kind of said, well, I'm going to have to muddle through some way. No, God's in control. Let him do it. Let him take it. Let him get the victory. Whether you're stressed about it or whether you're rejoicing about it, let God into whatever you're facing. Receive it from him. Number two, how will Genesis chapter 14 inform the way you pray? God, I need you. I can't do it on my own. I can't make enough sacrifice. I can't do enough to make it happen. But, Lord, you can, and I trust you to do it. Number three, do you take credit for the victories, or do you give God glory for your victories? You need to say, God, I thank you. God is at work in your trials and in your victories. Why do you think we fail to give God praise for our victories? I think, ultimately, we don't want somehow to think that we didn't have a hand in it, right? It's about pride. It's about boasting. It's about being able to go back and say, look what I did. Now, how can you do a better job of praising God and your victories? You can remember to trust him, and when he delivers, you point back to him, and you let him get the glory. Amen? All right, well, let's pray, and we will let you go. Dear Father, thank you so much for how you have blessed and how you have watched over us and cared for us. And Lord, truly, you've brought much into our lives, and we openly receive it, the good and the bad, the trials and the victories. Lord, we know that ultimately it is you that delivers us. Ultimately, we know that it is you that we must trust. And so, Lord, this week, may we, as we face whatever we face, trust you as never before. Thank you, Lord, for all you're doing and all you continue to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have any questions or comments and like to get with me, you certainly can get with me at Trey, T-R-E-Y, at NorthwoodBaptist.com. And I will gladly return your email and talk to you and give you any information you need. Uh, so if we appreciate you coming and being a part. We hope that uh, you'll be out there and you will give God the glory for the victory that you have in your life this week.